When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody, and welcome into a new edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on this lovely Friday afternoon. I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barth. And Alex, uh, we got a little game to talk about from last night. Not exactly the best of competition in the Atlanta Falcons, but this was an absolutely dominant effort by the Patriots defense. And I just got through the Patriots defense tape from this game last night. And the two guys that I just couldn't stop watching were Dante Hightower and Jawan Bentley. They had a monster game against the run defending Kyle Pitts. Got to be one of the better inside linebacker tandems going right now in the NFL, both those guys playing off the ball, but the Patriots defense just absolutely dominating in the trenches at the point of attack, whether it was the run game, the pass game, what have you, it was a, four quarters of just absolute and utter domination. Yeah. I mean, I, not to say that those guys played poorly. They certainly didn't. I don't even know that they were in in my mind of the first three names we'd bring up, you know, and I don't know if you're just specifically talking about the inside linebackers making a point, but I thought Kyle Van Noy obviously was excellent. Um, I thought Kyle Duggar had potentially his best game as a pro. And of course I'm going to pump my guy, my guy, Christian Barmore, but if you don't mind, Evan, I, I look, I'm not normally one to do this, but if you'll yeah. allow me to take a little bit of a victory lap here, if you remember back after the Cowboys game, they allowed 35 points. What do you, they're not good. They can't play defense. They suck. You didn't bring in anybody. And I told everybody, I told everybody to be patient. And I said, yeah. this defense can do it. Just give them some time. They'll figure it out. Yeah. And look at this. Three games in a row, allowing single-digit points. That's the third time they've done that in franchise history. That's the most such streak since 2005 in that span. Um, this is, I mean, we had that conversation about what's a good defense now versus a good defense historically. This is a great defense by 2021 standards. It's a pretty good defense by just about any standard, yeah. honestly, I would say. And I know people will say it's the Falcons, it's the Falcons, I, I can get into it now. We can get into it later. There are actually some things the Falcons coming into this game did very well this season where the Patriots were able to stop them. Yeah, well, I think what you just said about the defense coming along is really one of the more uh, bigger storylines. I know Mac Jones gets all the headlines, right? And, and rightfully so. He's had a great rookie season. But you look at this defense early on in the season, Miami, New Orleans, 
they were already pretty good, right? They weren't great, but they were pretty good. And then they had the game against Tampa where they really held their own against the Bucks and Brady. And then they had the Texans and Dallas back-to-back games, right? And, and those were uh, where everybody started to sour on the defense. But I think the main thing that you, you're seeing is a combination of the coaching staff figuring out the best way to use the personnel that they have defensively by going to more zone coverage looks, especially on early downs instead of man coverage. So you have the coaching staff figuring it out or catching up, right? And and sort of understanding the best way to use these guys. And then secondly, when you talk about defense at all three levels, but especially in the front seven and in the line of scrimmage, you have to figure out how all the pieces to the puzzle fit players wise, right? Personnel wise, not just from a coaching standpoint, but the players themselves and the chemistry and the continuity themselves. So the run fits have improved tremendously. The chemistry in the pass rush has improved tremendously because these guys have now played 10, 11 games together. They've had pretty good knock on wood health in that group as well. So all these guys are starting to really get Uh, a great feel of how they fit into the greater picture. And when I watch this defense, everybody does their one eleven, and nobody is trying to do more than that. Right. If Jawan Bentley's job is to drop over the middle of the field in zone coverage, he's dropping over the middle of the field. If Matt Judon's job is to set the edge, he's setting the edge. If Jalen Mills has a deep third, he plays the deep third, right. And everything kind of pieces together from there. The reason why I brought up the linebackers is because I think in a lot of ways, especially the turnaround and run defense that the Patriots have had Hightower and Bentley to me represent a lot of that group of the identity of the group, right? That physicality, that nastiness, that a-holeness as Matt Judon put it last night. I think that starts with eight and 54 because those guys are absolute sledgehammers that just come down at the line of scrimmage and just blow up these run plays i mean these falcons blockers they had no chance of getting to the second level or no chance of getting some momentum down the field because bentley and hightower were just crunching them as soon as they figured out a red run so I think that in a lot of ways they embody the physical nature of how the Patriots defense wants to play. And then you start to put all these pieces together that they had in the offseason come in. Even a guy, you mentioned Van Noy, who had a slow start to the year. Now he's starting to heat up a little bit here. Godshaw had maybe one of his best games of the year last yeah. year. So some of these new pieces that are coming in, not everybody can be Matthew Judon and just figure it out instantly and and have 10 and a half sacks in the first 11 games. Some guys are going to take a little bit longer to develop. And now those guys that took a little bit longer are starting to figure it out as well. Yeah. I I mean, that's the perfect way to phrase it. They're all coming together. Everybody's kind of fitting in their roles. They had to figure some things out. And I think situationally they've been better too. And it, it, it ties into all, you know, they figured things out schematically. It helps them situationally, but you look at what they've done, on third down the last couple of weeks, you look at what they've done in the red zone in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, I'll give you, so I'll give you two, two numbers from last night on third down. And this is where, again, this is where it's the Falcons. You have to put that aside for a second because Falcons coming into last night, not a bad third down team. They ranked 14th yeah. in the league. They're just under 50%. So not great, but not, not bad, really not bad. Top half of the league. 
They were 2 of 11 on third down last night. They were 0 for their last 7. That 0 for 7 included a third and 5 and two third and 1s. On third downs overall last night, on those 11 plays, the Falcons averaged 1.6 yards per play. Yeah. 1.6 yards per play on third down. And then in the red zone, heading into last night, Atlanta was the only team in the league that had come away with points on every red zone trip. They'd been to the red zone 28 times. They had 17 touchdowns, 11 field goals. That's pretty good. I know we don't think a lot of their offense this morning after they just got shut out, but that that's pretty impressive. Yeah. 0 for 2 in the red zone last night. 0 for 2, the Patriots defense now is one of only six teams in the league allowing a touchdown on less, less than 50% of their defensive red zone possessions. And nine times, nine of the 29 trips against the Patriots into the red zone have resulted in no points. Goose egg. That's, the, that's tied for the most red zone stops, like outright stops, not even a field goal, the most red zone stops in the league. So one of the biggest issues early in the year, Evan, and it ties into the schematic stuff, but yeah. they could, remember they couldn't get the stops late in the game. The third yeah. and 25 against Dallas, uh, some of the red zone issues they were having. Right. They are now thriving in those areas. Again, they are one of, if not the best red zone defense in football right now, and they are one of the best third down defenses in football right now. And they did it last night against a team that is impotent as they looked at times. And this is generally the case. If, regardless of the rest of the roster, if you have a veteran quarterback, you're generally pretty good in the red zone, pretty good on right. third down. And the you Patriots, have a good, a good tight end you can go and to. a good tight end will help, too, yeah. Right. The pa- and we can get into what they did at Pitts, but the Patriots' defense pants the Falcons in those situational yeah. settings last night. They did. And the two key stops you're talking about there, Kyle Van Noy's third down sack. Again, another great example yeah. of team defense. Adrian Phillips reroutes Kyle Pitts. They're trying to run a little spot concept at the sticks for Kyle Pitts. Adrian Phillips jams him up at the line of scrimmage, which gives Van Noy enough time to start to pressure Matt Ryan Then a great cat and mouse type of game with Van Noy jumping up and then diving in to get the sack. And then you talk about back-to-back third and one, fourth and one. Back-to-back stuffs led by Carl Davis and Dante Hightower in the middle of the defense there to get uh, the turnover on downs. Really just a, what more can you say? I mean, it was a dominant effort. And when you play an opponent that's shorthanded, that's without some of their weapons and an offensive line that's in a, in a rut right now and struggling in Atlanta, you want to shut them out. You can't do any better than shutting them out, right? And, and I right. guess we can sit here and talk about level of competition and things like that. But you literally cannot do better than what the Patriots defense did last night. They shut them out and they held them to what? I think it was like three and a half yards per play or something 3. like that. 3.2 yards per play, yeah. 165 total yards. Right. And again, they're two trips to the red zone, a third, a third and one, which they stopped with a sack, and then right. a third one to fourth and one, and they stopped both of them. Right, right. So it just... You can't play it any better than the Patriots defense played it. Uh, you mentioned him already. I, I wanted to bring up Kyle Duggar, who I thought probably had his best game as a Patriot. He played really, really well against Baltimore last year. That was kind of his coming out party was against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, but he was doing it in a little bit of a different role than what he was playing uh, last night. Last year against the Ravens, a lot of it was about containing Lamar Jackson, right? He he was kind of the, the de facto spy uh, on Lamar Jackson on a lot of those quarterback designed screen, uh, scramble plays and, and designed runs. But 
last night, man to man with Kyle Pitts on a few different occasions, did a really, really nice job of shutting down Kyle Pitts when he was given the opportunities. The pass breakup early on in the game misses the jam, but has the explosiveness and the recovery ability to get back in the uh, and contest the catch point and break the pass up. A really, really great performance by Duggar. And then he also had some great tackles in the flat, I should mention as well, just you know, flying into the flat. To, Another hit stick too. Yeah, to really blow some uh, some guys up. So overall, uh, you look at some of these younger players on the Patriots defense. We talk about Barmore every single week, and rightfully so. Uh, Duggar is really starting to come on here. Juwan Bentley is not necessarily young, but he's still on his rookie contract, and he's playing fantastic football. So all you know, a defense that had no talent, that it couldn't draft, that couldn't do this, couldn't do that. Uh, <laughs> I love it. We talk about what three or four guys a week. It seems like routinely that were recent draft picks by Bill Belichick on the defensive side of the ball that are absolutely balling out. Can I add, like kind of side note here? But you made me think of it with what you said about Juwan Bentley. Uh, so we're all calling Mac Jones the kid last night and Christian Barmore the kid, right? Yeah. Um, at, and, and look, sports writers, sports talkers, whoever, we love to call young players the kid. It sounds cool, right? The yeah. kid can sling it. The kid can rush the pa- rush the pass, yeah. right? At what what is the line of demarcation where a player stops being the kid? Like Tom Brady was the kid when he won his third Super Bowl. That's fair. When, when did he stop? Like I just want to know so I can get out ahead of it. Second contract. That's the way I look at it. So, that you're you're a young player until you hit your second contract. That's exactly what I said last night. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I just I, I want to get that cleared out. I know it's a total. It's a Friday. It's like a long weekend with the Thursday yeah. game. I'm losing my yeah. mind. Uh, but yeah, no. I, I think that the the Bill Belichick can't draft narrative took a hit. The kids were excellent last night. Yeah. All of them. I mean, they got contributions from everybody. Even Chase Winovich nearly made a tackle on special teams. He's not his own player, but he almost made a tackle on special teams. So no, they are gonna uh, talk about your special teams here in a second, Alex, because it okay. wasn't it wasn't so pretty on, on special teams. Uh, I was not. It was a step it was a little bit of a step back from recent weeks, I would agree. Yeah. So just to wrap it up on the defense though. I think the two things that you really are are seeing the most are the physical mindset and the physical approach. The Patriots have it, the 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 phrase I'm going to start using because I think it's I think it's buzzing. I like it. This is a modern day bully ball defense. Love right? it. This Love is it. not because this is not like the this is not you know the 80s, 85 Bears. This is not this is not like you know eight guys up on the line of scrimmage all the time and, and the 46 defense, that, that's not what they're running. Right. Uh, right. They're, they're doing some new age type of stuff. Uh, they are playing some too high. They are playing some cover two in certain situations. And what they've done is they play cover two and cover three zone, especially a lot on first and second down and they disguise it. So you just, when, until the ball is snapped and the coverage declares, these quarterbacks don't know if they're getting one high or two high, right? They, they really just don't have no clue. And the rarity in some of these Patriots linebackers to and guys like Hightower and Bentley and Van Noy and Judon uh, to be so athletic and be able to drop and be able to cover even out of some of these uh, nickel and, and base looks that they're running. It, that's what I think is making this whole thing go in a lot of ways 
is that those guys are holding up well enough in coverage right now that they can put the sledgehammers on the field in a lot of situations. So this is a modern day bully ball defense because they are still, they're still coming in and cracking skulls, right? Oh, yeah. They're still coming downhill in the run game. They're still taking on pullers. They're still blowing up climbing guards. They're still going through guys trying to combo up to the second level. And then they're also playing some of these new age zone coverages on the back end with rotations to mitigate big plays, hold the offenses down off of play action. And it's, it's working and it's a real testament to bill Belichick and the coaching staff, because it's parts of it are what Belichick has always done here in new England, right? Some of the, the, run fits and some of the the heavier linebackers and all that kind of stuff is a lot like what bill has done in the past but the coverage in the in the x's and o's of it is certainly different this is a different kind of thing uh, that they're doing and and it's really uh fascinating to watch them be able to go up against some of these new age offenses and, you know, the Chargers, for example, Cleveland, right? And, and then last night, Arthur Smith, even though he's got limited kind of weapons and personnel around him uh, as a head coach, he's kind of one of those new age outside zone bootleg head coaches as well. Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay stuff. And the Patriots have just absolutely torched it. And we're going to talk a little bit about it at the end of the show once we talk about the offense and about the Tennessee Titans. And in comes another play action heavy you know roll them out run it down their throats they don't have derrick henry but that's still the titans core offensive identity too and the patriots really uh, between cleveland carolina and atlanta and even i guess the jets to it you know they're running that system too they've absolutely shut that system down for going on a month plus now. So I, I really do like that matchup, but let's talk about the offense. Well, just, just real quick, just yeah. to jump back. Cause I, I, I want to just hammer something home that you talked about with the physicality. Yeah. Every time we talk to these guys, you know, leading up to a game after the game, they're talking about on both sides of the ball, how it's a point of emphasis to be more physical than the other team. And uh, like, yeah. sometimes it's a cliche in football. Like, yeah, you know, the yeah. more physical team wins, blah, blah, blah. Right. I, I really don't think they're saying it is a cliche. No. There's weight behind it when I say that. And I think there's an understanding in the building right now that the way they've built, and this goes back to, we've talked about this since Brady left, yeah. that the way they were going to win post Brady and they have the roster now, the way they've built this offensive line, the way they've built this front seven on defense, they can beat the, they can just line up across from their opponent, hat on a hat and beat the crap out of them. Yeah, physically, like they know they have that ability. And I think they've realized that's how they're going to win games this year. That's that's their best approach is just beat the crap out of whoever you're lined up against. I love it. It's old school. It's awesome. And you talk about how, you know, that strategy has kind of gone out the window as offenses get lighter and faster. Defenses have matched and the rules have changed. But they've taken that mindset and molded it around the current rules. Yeah, like, I don't even know if they've rolled it around the current strategy because no, they've played some fast teams around. and they've still tried to beat them up. I think the main thing that you sort of see them adjusting to the times with, if you will, is how they're defending play action, right? Because everybody in, in the league wants to create explosive plays off of play action. Even the Patriots saying, we know Josh McDaniels loves play action and loves to create explosive chunks off of play action and their ability now 
to drop into these zone coverages. And when I watch their, their second level, whether it's the safeties or the linebackers, their understanding of the route combinations that opponents like to use off of play action is really impressive because they know like, just like the Pats do here, when they run that hard play action, what are they going to do? They're going to try to cross the tight end you know, over the middle of the field, or they're going to try to threaten the cross and then run a corner or something along those lines. Maybe it'll go up, a, up the seam occasionally, but a lot of these boot action type of offenses that we see take over the league don't do a ton of seam stuff. It's mostly the crossing routes, right? The overs, as, as Belichick talks about. Right. And the Patriots linebackers and safeties, they are – they know a hundred percent where they're going to try to attack the coverage structure from a route concept standpoint. And they're retreating and getting into those passing lanes so quickly because they just know, okay, here comes play action. They're going to try to run Kyle Pitts behind me. I'm going to turn around and find Kyle Pitts. And, and now I'm going to blow up the play. Right. And now there's no place to go with the football. So the way that they've covered play action is really, uh, unique and sort of adapting with the times as much as these linebackers and their front seven is physical and old school in that sense, the way that they're covering play action is, is very much new school. And that's kind of the the great meld of the two kind of styles. And it's, yeah. it's really fascinating to me because I, I personally, and I, I think that a lot of people probably would agree with this. I did not think that Bentley and Hightower were going to be good enough in coverage to hold up in this kind of defense, right? I, I really thought teams would spread them out and be able to attack Bentley and Hightower and take advantage of those matchups. And at least for now, to this point, we've seen teams dink and dunk a little bit, right? But the yards after catch aren't really there for the most part. And it's, a handful of times a game. So if you get burned up by it two or three times over the course of an entire game, it's not really that big of a deal, right? I mean, it's, it's really not killing you all that much. So we'll see if they play an offense, maybe it's Tennessee, maybe it's Buffalo that remains patient enough and will just matriculate it down the field and won't hold the football, trying to wait for the longer plays to develop. Cause that's what's happening as these quarterbacks are holding the ball trying to wait for their routes to get open down the field. And then here comes Barmore and Judon and, and the pass rush, right? So you, you can't right. hold it forever. So eventually some team might dink and dunk and might take what's there and might be conservative and might try to create plays off of Yak by attacking those underneath zones. But so far, as of right now, it hasn't worked. But I would say at the same time, too, that's you get into, again, this is one of the best red zone defenses in football. Right. And there's that pressure, too, of – do you do you want to face that beast? Do you want to get that far down the field and and you know then you have to face that? Maybe teams feel like they need chunk plays to beat yeah. Patriots. Maybe they feel that way right now that hey, it's a risk either way, but this one has a higher reward. So we'll you know we'll throw the ball down the field. If anything, wouldn't the the, the math heavy wouldn't a math heavy team like the Bills lean that way? In that you know why why would we run the ball down the field? The math tells us to throw. We need the chunk plays. We're going to throw. They'll be wrong. Right. But when the math, like the Titans are different. The Titans are not mathy. That's why they have the best record in the AFC. But wouldn't a team like the Bills kind of force themselves into taking those deep shots? Yeah, I mean, that's what the Bills want to do, right? And right. I, I think a lot of the conversation, 
Uh, Josh Allen has adapted a little bit maybe faster in some degrees than Patrick Mahomes. A lot of the issues that the Chiefs have been having this year is that teams are playing two high coverages against them, you know, quarters or cover two. And Mahomes is just wants Tyree kill, right? He wants Tyree kill right. over the top, but they're leveraging the routes over the top with the two high safeties. And it's really difficult to then hit him over the top. And, and that's when he gets under pressure and then he starts scrambling around and that's what teams want him to do. And you look at this Patriots defense and they just aren't giving up the big plays and, and they're not giving up things over their head. And, some team is going to is going to have to try to Matt Ryan if he had a line maybe could have done it a little bit more last night than they did uh the Browns did it for one drive in that game uh on Sunday but this empty spread or shotgun spread once the Patriots put nickel or die or uh, base defense out there on the field and then you find Hightower, you find Bentley, you find Van Noy, right? And you find those linebackers. That That's going to be the, the chess match that the Patriots are going to have to play uh, once the team is smart enough to start to figure that out. But right now, no one has consistently been able to figure it out. And it's a testament, I would say, to Hightower and Bentley how well they've covered in, in the middle of the field, that they haven't been completely exposed, especially in zone coverage. Uh, anything more on the defense? Uh, we could probably talk another 20 minutes of, about this defense. Yeah, I mean, we didn't, I, we didn't even talk about I, – I didn't do my usual, like, at least a minute-long drool over Christian Barmore and how good he is. And I'm not saying he's Aaron Donald, but go back and watch Aaron Donald as a rookie, and it might look a little similar to you. Um, am I yeah. wrong? I mean, am I wrong there? No, I mean, look, I don't know. I don't think he's in, in Donald's stratosphere because nobody is. But I'm not saying Aaron Donald right now. I'm saying go back and watch the player Aaron Donald was as a rookie. Yeah, I, I, and watch I think now. I'd have to go back and really study him as a rookie. I, I, Barmore is great. Look, he, he's he, I'm not trying to take anything away from Christian Barmore. I just always am wary of putting anybody in, in guys like Aaron Donald. Look, category, I'm on like right? three hours of sleep right now. I'm fine making that. You know, <laughs> it's it, it's so hard. Not, you know, we're trying to avoid, and I personally, like, I don't want to put Mac Jones and Tom Brady's names in the same sentence in whatever context. Right. Trying very hard not to do that. So then here comes Christian Barmore and Aaron Donald, like, sneaking in the back door uh, for those ones. And then the other the other player, I think, two other players we should mention, Kyle Van Noy, career yeah. game. I think it's really interesting because he's playing differently than he did his first time here. He's yeah. not rushing the passer as much. He's being used to set the edge. He's being used in coverage. And he yeah. actually looks really comfortable in that role. And Van Noy's been kind of inconsistent, but it really feels like what he's doing now, like he feels like he's in a spot that he's going to succeed. So really encouraging what we've seen from him. And I thought Kyle Duggar, arguably, you talked about him before, I guess, but Duggar arguably had the best game of his career thus far too last night, or one of the best games of his career. I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. It's Thanksgiving. We all know what that means. Football and nothing goes better with football than turkey and betting. BetOnline has you covered all holiday season. More props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this Thanksgiving. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website, to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus with promo code CLNS50 to receive your bonus. And it's not just football. BetOnline has pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, even your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. 
Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online, we are stuffed with deals this Thanksgiving. Yeah, KVN tweeted. I, I tried to ask him about it. He didn't take the take the cheese last night, but he tweeted earlier in the week because Dan Orlovsky gave him a shout out and he said something along the lines of getting healthier, you know, and right. getting closer to 100%. And that's been a key to over the last two weeks, he's been one of their best players on defense. Two sacks last night, the pick six, obviously late. But the week before that, he had a sack and he had five stops against the run as well. And he added a couple more stops against the run against the Falcons. So uh, a very impressive five days for Kyle Van Noy, put it that way, right? Uh, He's really started to come on here a little bit. Uh, 26 minutes into the show without mentioning Mac Jones. I think that's some sort of a record. I want to give us a pat on the back. I'm impressed that we were able to make it this far. Oh, I mean, after that game. Oh, can I give one more one more stat for the defense yeah. for context? I had one. I gave the third down. I gave the red zone. Um, 13th shutout under Belichick. It, it, I might have given this one off the top. I apologize. Three games in a row now. The Patriots have allowed under double-digit points. Did I do this yet? Again, three hours of sleep. Three games in a row. I want the three hours of sleep, so this is not not a good combination. Three three games in a row. The Patriots have allowed under double digit points. It's the third time. It's the third time they've done that under Bill Belichick. But that's, I mean, it's pretty unprecedented to, to have this kind of stretch right here. And at least one of the games was against a, a good offense. I would say the Browns are a good offense. Falcons are an average offense. Um, what's the other game in there? Who was the Browns? Char- Panthers. No. Panthers. Panthers. Okay, Panthers at Sam Darnold. We can throw. We're, it. we're fine. We're fine. No, because they had they had they had McCaffrey. So even that was okay. Anyway, I yeah. think I already said that. Whatever. Let's talk yeah. about the offense. Okay. Well, uh, really quickly, I the last stat to just put a bow on it. The Patriots have not given up a point in 19 straight possessions as a defense oh, because they gave up go. opening drive touchdown to Cleveland was the last time they gave up a score of any kind, right. field goal or touchdown. The right. Patriots defense has outscored the opponent over the last 19 drives as well, because they have a pick six thrown in there. So this is, this is uh, I don't care who you're playing. This is a dominant stretch of the Patriots defense is on this week. It's been well, so five days between games and, and they're, they've done it both games. So it, this is impressive. What would that be in time? Like 116 minutes without a point, something like yeah. that. And like, yeah. I'm hesitant. Cause I remember in like the boogeyman era, like I used to tweet every Monday, like by quarter, how many points they'd allowed. It was like all zeros. So yeah, you got, you got to keep it going, but you're right. This stretch right here defensively. I mean, this, you know, somebody like me who loves old school, physical defensive football, like this is what you dream about. This is what you want the team to be. This is, this is a ton of fun right here. Yes, it is. All right. Let's talk about Mac Jones. I actually thought I haven't gone back and watched it yet. I watched the defense first, but thinking about that game now that I've had some time to marinate it with it, because when the game ended, I, I thought that Mac was meh, you know, really, it really was kind of a meh game from him, mostly because of what Dean Peace was doing. And I thought on a short week and Mac kind of alluded to this after the game, he didn't want to make excuses, but he did mention some of the blitzes that the Falcons threw at the Patriots last night or what I would consider uh, the defense's version of a trick play or like a or kitchen sink type of game, right? I mean, they're sending the deep safety. He's Ron Harmon's blitzing up the middle from the deep safety spot, and then they're rotating another guy back there in his place, or they're sending the the slot corner late. You know, it just all sorts of crazy uh, – 
three or four times they were able to get the Patriots three sacks on blitzes last night, and it was dead to rights, right? And there was a fourth right. time where Mac got out of it. He he was able to throw to Jacoby Myers on third down, backpedaled, and was able to complete the pass. So from a protection standpoint, and look, Josh McDaniels told us multiple times that protections is as much on the quarterback's shoulders as it is on the offensive line, right? Making sure that the guys are pointed in the right direction, that the blitz threats are accounted for. So whether it's making sure pre-snap that you have everybody blocked or it's throwing hot once you see that there is a blitzer that you're not expecting to come, either way, the ball's got to come out. And, and, and the ball's got, they got to be able to, you know, beat those types of blitzes. So on the big picture, looking back on it, you would like Mac to play a game like last night and be clean with turnovers, right? If he played, if he didn't throw that pick, but the stat line was exactly the same, then I think we were saying he managed the football game. It was a short week. Fantastic, right? He was good, not fantastic because of the interception, but I thought he was a lot better uh, thinking about it and kind of going back through some of the throws than what we initially thought. I mean, he was, I think, 14 of 15 in the first half. He had one incompletion the entire first yeah. half. So it's pretty hard to to be too critical of Mac Jones, even though it wasn't a wow down the field type of game like it was against Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, he did what he needed to do, right? Yeah, on a short week, very defensive coach. I think it was going to be ugly. It wasn't pretty at times. I think the big thing, big thing looking forward from that game is its offense hadn't seen. And I, I, you know, if other teams are smart, they'll see that on tape and they'll implement it into their defense here moving forward. So with it being the Thursday night game, I think there's a valuable phase here. And remember what Max said last night after the game, what's he going to do with the spare time? He's going to watch tape, hang out with his family, and then watch more tape. Um, right. Really good opportunity here to self-scout for the Patriots. Really good opportunity yeah. to look at some of those blitzes that confused them last night for Mac Jones to look at those, digest those, yeah. and figure out what they want to do in the future, how to beat those when they see those blitzes coming. So I, you know, we, we talked about it a ton at times this year about learning experiences for Mac Jones, right? Uh, last week, we, uh, obviously, it being a short week is a learning experience, his first time doing that. But I think a really good opportunity, him seeing a, a lot of things he hadn't seen before, and now a few extra days to digest it and learn, really learn about it and break it down in his mind. Uh, I think that that's very valuable. So not his best performance, obviously. Um, I don't know that anybody was expecting it to be, but he did enough. They survived. And now you you kind of learn from it. Yeah, I, I agree 100% because I think early on in the season, I actually wrote about how frequently teams are blitzing back for the first three or four weeks of the year. Then he seemed to have a few games in a row where he was good against the blitz and they kind of figured it out a little bit. Now the blitz comes and creeps back up in this game against Atlanta and going next week against the Titans with Rabel the week after that with Buffalo who can blitz a little bit. They're not a huge blitz defense with McDermott, but they have it in their bag, right? I mean, something that they could throw at you from a game plan standpoint I wonder if the book returns to we're just going to fire guys from the second and third level that he's not expecting to come and let's see how he reacts to it. Right. And and let's see if they can get it blocked. I, you wonder if that's going to be the, the strategy or the book on Mac. And he's certainly going to have to prove against the Titans to start with 
that that's not a viable strategy against him, right? You know, that, that he has the answers and he has that ability because it's one thing that I think you, that stands out about him every single week is that when he's protected, he can be lethal, right? If he's right. cleaning the pocket, he can really carve you up. But when they start getting free runners, like any quarterback, uh, you know, the blitzers and, and stuff like that have affected him a little bit. So that is uh, I, where I was going to go with it, too. It feels like you, you just can't let that become a stable strategy week to week for some of these smarter defensive coaches that the Patriots are going to go up against in the next month, that everybody is just throwing the blitz book at them, right? And and that's just the way right. that we're going to attack the Patriots offense. I also was expecting a, a tiny bit more out of the running game, but it felt like they weren't able to string drives together consistently enough and convert on third down consistently enough to be able to run the football. Right. And I, I think that maybe that was more to it uh, than the lack of effectiveness. Cause they average uh, Ramondre Stevenson, Damian Harris averaged five yards a carry. So if they were able to keep running the football, uh, then I think they w- would have really gotten them uh, going on the ground. But uh, the fact that they split carries essentially right down the middle between Harris and Stevenson, I thought was also pretty interesting. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's the way to go. Yeah. When you can wear a defense down by keeping both those guys fresh. I think you also had and Damian Harris talked about this after the game that having not played, even though, you know, he hadn't played and maybe was a little rusty, he was fresh. Uh, whereas Stevenson had 20 something touches against the Browns just five days ago. So yeah. Or four days ago, whatever it is. So, I, I mean, I think that strategy made sense. I, they just, whether it was the running game or the passing game, you mentioned not being able to string drives together. I think the penalties kind of came back and bit them a little bit. They had some um, big ones. They only got called for five. I thought it was more than that. Just yeah, it felt line. bigger. But well, I think a, a lot of them up. a lot. Well, and a lot of them wiped out big plays, right? Yeah. You know, uh, you, yeah. you take a 17-yard reverse off the board for Nikhil Harry, for example. That That's a big play that gets called back. Ramondre's ridiculous Barry Sanders-esque run gets called back for that hold on David Andrews. Those types of plays are explosive plays that get taken off the board because of penalties, and that does hurt you a lot. Yeah, yeah, and it's Bill. Bill said after the game, he said a couple times. Yeah, he referenced you know leaving opportunities on the table with with negative plays, which usually means or penalties are included in that. So, uh, you know, you'd like again, I you'd like to see a little bit more from the running game just because of the opponent. Although you know, total rushing yards, the Falcons are bottom ten in the league. Rushing yards against, they're actually 11. Yeah. So not as – we might have underestimated the run defense a little bit. I kind of thought that maybe going into the game. But, um, yeah, they'll need more from that running game. The good news is, you know, that that was down south. It was indoors. When they come back up here, when they're in Buffalo or whatever and it's cold, like it's just going to help them run better. So Yeah, you look at the average starting field position, a, a stat that the Patriots have really dominated as a team all year long – Every drive besides that final kneel down drive with the Adrian Phillips interception started in Patriot territory. So they had to drive the field the entire game pretty much. And I, I thought that, that was a big factor as well, because we've talked about the, the, the landmine offense and all that in the past, right? When you're an offense that isn't going to hit one sixty-five yard play to get you in the end zone or get you down into the red area and you do have to string together 10 yards here, 15 yards there, so on and so forth. Those things become, those drives that are longer become a little bit more difficult. Uh, so I, I think that you look at 
some of the things that the offense did well, they still moved the ball. You know, 5.2 yards uh, per play. Uh, they went into the red zone, what, uh, three times? So just got to clean up some things in the red zone, clean up some things in, in bat, uh, blitz pickup, and uh, I think that they'll be okay offensively. I'm going to audible and talk about cannabis, specifically Massachusetts premier cannabis dispensaries, INSA, I-N-S-A. They're the premier because the founders, Pat and Pete, re-engineered the cannabis model from what they sell to how they sell it while never forgetting it's for everyone. Into dispensaries are inviting and modern, so come in just to learn more. The staff are authorities on the science who answer every question from the differences between flowers and concentrates to offering for insomnia and anxiety or reco for hanging with friends. Insa has a world-class head chef too and only hires the most respected growers who perfected their craft when it wasn't so legit. One last thing, the Insta founders aren't VCs from Silicon Valley, but lifelong pals from Springfield. So there's another local team to root for, Insta. In Salem, East Hampton, Boston Delivery, and two Springfield locations, including just one off I-91 beside the MGM Casino. Mention we said to stop by for a sweet t-shirt or for one penny, insta.com or 877-500-INSA. Were you surprised that they... I wasn't surprised. I shouldn't shouldn't say that, but how do you feel about them keeping the same offensive line? Because in such a short week, you're not going to completely reinvent the wheel. Maybe after the bye week, they could find a way to get Mike Onwenu back in the starting lineup. Or right now, it it made no sense. They didn't even have a padded practice to practice with a different five-man combination uh, this past week. But were you surprised, or are you surprised that Onwenu? I think he played six snaps in this game. You know, he's he's not even playing. It's not it's not even like they they're trying to find six o line combinations or something like that to get him out there fifteen twenty times a game. He he's barely playing. Yeah, like you said, it's a short week. You're not going to change up your offensive line that much. Right. And I thought, especially after the group played so well last week uh, against Cleveland, they're good against Falcons. They weren't great. It's just tough because it does feel like in some ways this current five, even without Michael and when might be their best five without playing somebody wildly out of position, but you got Trent Brown on the one year deal and Isaiah win on his, on his fifth year option. Ted Karras is up at the end of the year too. So yeah, you know, Michael and when a part of the future, you know, they basically have six starting caliber linemen. Yeah. And we knew that this was going to be a thing at the beginning of the year when David yeah. Andrews came back and they'd already signed Ted Karras to replace him. And then he comes back. Right. So it looked like Harris was going to be the odd man out. It ends up being Onwenu, and that's kind of surprising based on how Onwenu played last year, but th- that's football. That's what happens. Ted Karras got his chance. He got in the lineup. He's playing really, really, really well. Yeah. So you're not just going to take a guy out when he's playing like that. And it's so somebody they no matter what you do with starting caliber offensive lineman's going to sit. I think because Onwenu was so good last year, because he's so young, he's got this promise. I think people, you know, it, it, it hits a little weird. Yeah. But I mean, do you feel better with Trent Brown on the bench? Do you feel better with Ted Karras on the bench? Do you feel better with Shaq yeah. Mason on the bench? Like, no matter what it is, it feels weird. Yeah. So, and, and, and I, with Isaiah Wynn playing good too, I mean, he was kind of the the, the weak link to start the season. Uh, and it would have made all the sense in the world to move Trent Brown to the left side on Wenu at right tackle and boom, bang, there you go. Right. Uh, but Wynn's playing well now. So I just, yeah. I mean, no matter how you spin it, it I, like it, it feels uncomfortable for Patriots fans. I get it to have Michael and Wenu on the bench. He's a good player. We all love Michael and Wenu, but no matter what you do, you're going to feel uncomfortable. It's just a good problem to have. And, and 
the point is they're set good for the long term. You go from there. Yeah, it's an in, you're right because the the way to get Mike on on the field to me what this is telling me is that the Patriots don't love what they saw out of Unwinnie at guard. They they don't love it. I know PFF. I don't buy that. It. I don't. I, it just, I, it, then it could mean that they Karras just love Karras. It could just mean that they love Karras more. They love Karras more than they love a second-year player who's arguably one of the best young players on their roster. You know, I, I don't know. It just – I have a tough time thinking that they view him as strongly as a guard as all of us do and as – not to throw them under the bus, but as PFF does, right? And, and, uh, and all of us – in the media that are viewing these games and, and, and examining these games, we all think on is this world beater, but the Patriots, if they truly felt that on was that good, as good as we think he is as good as PFF thinks he is, where he's maybe not a tier one guard in the NFL, because I don't think he's on Zach Martin, Quentin Nelson territory yet, right? I mean, he's not right. there, but maybe he's a tier two guard in the NFL or a tier three guard. If he's really that good, then there's no excuse whatsoever to have him on the bench, right? And, and I, I'm a huge Ted Karras guy. You know, I love Ted, but he is a, a good, respectable, solid starter. He's not a potential pro bowl, all pro type starter, like all of us think Mike on when is, you know? So yeah. I, I, I think that that's really what we've learned well, is maybe the Patriots think after all Mike on when might be better at tackle, right? They might right. think that he's a better right tackle. And the answer could be that maybe not this year because they like Isaiah win enough to keep him in there. If I, I do think there was a world where Trent Brown went over to left tackle and on when stayed at right tackle and they went with that group, but we talked about it. I think in the last show when we did the Q and a, and we started talking about draft a little bit is moving on from win drafting a left tackle replacement and then having Mike on when be your right tackle is, is that their now vision for the long term? Right, because maybe they don't think he's a good guard or as good of a guard as he was at tackle, and their thought process is kind of flipped because they thought he was a guard. Clearly, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think it's like watching him. I think it's clear he's better at tackle. I just wonder, yeah. you know, we've had this, this. I just had this kind of funny thought. We've had this magical season where rookies and second year players are playing key roles, and they're some of the best players on the team. Right? Maybe this is just. It, what did we talk about all camp with Stevenson and Barmore and Mac that Bill loves his rookies and he or loves his veterans. He's always going to defer yeah. to the veterans. The veterans are always going to get the chance. What if this is just a little bit, the little bit of old bill that's left. Yeah. Oh, when is the youngest offensive lineman? Like pretty significantly. Yeah. It's the youngest, least experienced offensive lineman. What if this is old bill? What if this is a right. little bit of old it feels just, like care the veteran being there not only helps Andrews and Isaiah win, because I think those two guys have played better since Ted Karras has been there, but it also takes some of the stress potentially off of Mac as well, because now you essentially have two centers out there that can help him set protections and mic points and point things out before the ball is snapped at the line of scrimmage. And maybe he can see things that help him out as well. So I think in a lot of ways on when his inexperience at guard is hurting him too, because when they put him in there earlier in the year, Isaiah Wynn's play just completely tanked, 
right? He was he was terrible right. with him at guard. So I I think you're honestly talking about how it's making the people around them better as well as just, you know, the individual player himself. It's a really fascinating thing because we're so caught up in this world now and and I'm as much a, a part of it as anybody else. But we're so ca- caught up in the the PFF grades and the and, and watching and combing through the tape ourselves and and trying to dissect these things, and then they do these types of things still to a degree. The Patriots probably do it more than any other team because Bill has the job security to bench a guy that everybody thinks is amazing, right? Right. And you know it, it's interesting to try to pick it apart and and figure out what exactly is going on. I also just really uh, quickly I want to talk about the Titans, but in the chat. Yeah. Uh, apparently we are now Mac Jones haters today. Uh, oh, we're doing we, this again. We, we flipped the switch. If anybody has listened to the show for the first 11, uh, 10 weeks of the season and training camp, then you got the wrong show. If you think that this is the Mac Jones hater club here. All right. Pointing out that they didn't have uh, as dominant of a game against Cleveland and, and maybe had a few concerns and blitz pickup is not exactly ragging on the kid. All right. Let, let's relax. Um, Let's talk about the Titans because I, we'll see what the tape looks like against real Houston. Real quick, real quick here. What's yeah. today? November nineteenth. Yes. Uh, November twelfth, twenty twenty. Yeah. From my text messages, I would pay extra for Mac Jones. <laughs> it should be Mac Jones. November twenty twenty. But this before he was a consensus first round pick. Yeah. But we hate Mac Jones. I wish I could just show everybody these text messages and just. Go somewhere else if you want to blame people on hating on Mac Jones. We're realistic. We're an analytical show. We're realistic. I'm sorry he didn't throw for 500 yards and five touchdowns. It wasn't the best game of his career. The kid can play. Nobody here is saying well, otherwise. Go listen to the uh, Tuesday show where we gushed for 25 minutes about his tape against Cleveland. And uh, yeah. and then everybody was telling us that we were a bunch of homers sucking him off. So which way anyway. is it, right? Anyway. Uh, anyways, uh, really quickly, a lot of just wrapping up this game. And then I, I really do want to talk about the Titans a little. Um a lot of questions in the chat, a lot of chatter about Johnny Smith. It's fair. It's fair. And you you think about it from a long-term perspective. And if they can't figure out this thing with Smith, and he had to play early on in the game where he catches the ball in the flat, breaks a tackle, gains like 17 yards, and you say, oh, well, that's how they should use Johnny Smith, right? And I put maybe – five percent of the blame if that on him for the interception it really wasn't johnny smith's fault he doesn't have eyes here in the you back go of his head. hating mac jones again right he doesn't have he doesn't have eyes in the back of his head so let, let's over let's settle down with the oh we should have boxed them out or whatever um but i the the fit's been odd right it hasn't worked as well as they thought it would and I think the biggest problem that you look at it from a big picture standpoint is that his cap hit and his hold, right? The fact that he's due another, I think it's 11 or $12 million next year prohibits the team from going out and signing another pass catcher for big money because they have Johnny Smith under contract at like 50 million guaranteed or whatever, something crazy that they gave him. So I, I'm not, there yet where i'm going to sit here and say they should be trying to find ways to move on from johnny smith but if he doesn't start playing up to his caliber in terms of the contract then it really bogs them down because they can't find a 
replacement unless they draft a rookie wide receiver or a rookie tight end that's great uh, and go that direction they can't pay or trade uh, for a veteran if Johnny Smith is taking up that much money on their cap yeah it's and it it the whole thing you talk about you know not blaming the interception like the whole thing it it feels like Nikhil Harry all over again they have this big physical dominating presence and they just can't it's a usage issue. I don't know that John, like John U. Smith to me is not playing poorly. He's just not being put in positions to succeed. And this, we talk about all the time about this with this yeah. coaching staff is so good at, there's just this mental block here with these kinds yeah. of players that they seemingly can't figure it out. You mentioned, you know, the throw in the flat and the 17 yards, like that's exactly how you use right. it. And they just don't, they're not doing it enough to justify it. And I don't like, maybe it's something they see on film. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at it closer. And, you know, it's probably a better task for you than for me, but it's just, they're not, you know, we had that whole role. I talked about it in the preseason. We did our predictions that John U. Smith would lead this team in catches. I thought they were essentially yeah. going to use him as a slot receiver. And that just, it hasn't been the case. It hasn't been the case. I, I don't really know what they're using him as. Yeah, no, that that's a really good point that it does feel like another big athlete that you ask him to run around and get open at the top and, and make a, a move and, and have it all go smoothly. And that's feels like you're pulling teeth. Right. But then you get him the ball in some space and he can do stuff with it. But in terms of what he does for the team. And this, I went on that very, very short rant about us pumping up Nikhil Harry's blocking tape against uh, Cleveland last week. You can't pay Johnny Smith $13.75 million against the cap next year to be Dwayne Allen. You, you just can't, right? I mean, it, nothing gets Dwayne Allen. Nothing. Dwayne Allen was, was fine because Dwayne Allen was making a salary that made sense for a number two tight end. You know what I mean? But this is a number one top of the market type of deal for Johnny Smith. And just because he might have some good blocks there, or just because they might create some mismatches in terms of personnel, it, it doesn't matter if he's not producing. So I, I just, I don't know. I, I have a tough time with Johnny Smith because I agree with you. It, it does feel very Nikhil Harry like where they just kind of don't know how to get the most out of him in the passing game. And you saw that that first half against the Jets and you said, that's how you use him, right? They threw a screen, they threw a pass to him out of the backfield. He was at, in a, a kind of like as a fullback and then he releases up the field off of play action and he threw uh, the route in the flat early on against Atlanta. And, and, and you see all these types of things come out and you say, oh, you know, these are good ways to use him, but it's just not consistent enough for him to produce at a high level on flares into the flat. Right. And, and a screen right. pass once a game, it, it's just not going to get the stats that they needed to get. So it is a concern, not necessarily because I'm, I'm jumping off the bridge that they didn't hit on Johnny Smith or Johnny Smith has struggled, but more so because of the money that he's due next year and the year after that. Right. right? In terms of the contract and, and those, that, that cap hold being what it is. Um, Can I ask you what well, we're on tight ends? Can I ask you a question? Cause I'm curious how you saw this. The, the loan and completion for Mac in the first half, right? To Hunter Henry, yeah. where he cuts that route off short. Yeah. The goal, or no, he ran to the corner and Mac threw it to the near pylon, right? Or did I get no, that? No, no, other first? way around. Yeah. So Henry around. cut it off and Mac threw to the back pylon, right? Yeah. Who, 
Like I thought like Mac, uh, Henry cut that. That's right. Right. That Henry cut that off. Mac misread so, that, right? Or did Henry misread it? I, I I'm have curious to see, what you thought. I have to see what it, what exactly the coverage was. Because um, they had the safety over the top, right? So I don't know if it was if it was too high. Then most likely the call is to run the corner, right? That the, the hole in cover two is between the low hanging cornerback and the deep safety, right? You have that corner hole. So if it was too high or some sort of two man type of coverage, then I would say that that mac made the right read if it was three then cutting it off underneath the defense is probably the right move so i'd have to go back and and watch it but that is sort of the the decision there right if it's too high it should have been probably broken off on the corner if it was one high or, or cover three then going underneath the deep third is the is the right move there for the receiver but it was um Nobody there. I, I haven't heard a consensus yet. I was just curious if you'd seen it. Like it's, yeah. it's ultimately inconsequential, but I had, you know, I'm just curious. No. Yeah. E- either way it was covered. It's a good point. Chad. Either way it was covered pretty well. But. Yeah. Yeah. And between that and, uh, and everybody posting uh, clips of Nikhil Harry open on the interception that my, my brain is, is about Fair to enough. explode. Please, please. It's just, please stop with, with this nonsense. Um, oh, dude, there's there's no Twitter. There's no Twitter like screen grab interception oh, Twitter. This is the best. It's peak football Twitter. And I, I've been I've been a member of that. I have been guilty. of Oh, that. yeah, I, I, I have as well. And look, it, I they tried to flood the deep third of the zone. If Mac had held the ball a little bit longer and, and gone through the progression and he probably could have baited Terrell into jumping Johnny and throwing the deep ball to Nikhil. But it was, it, he, Terrell was only out of the deep third because he was already jumping the route, right? He, he was, if he had stayed home, he wouldn't been been open. Terrell decided to leave the zone to jump the route and take and intercept the pass. So right. it, what it, did it, you, what did you think of Terrell? Like, I, I'm again, I'm just kind of curious. Cause he was, I, I didn't, I didn't think Bill respect, like thought that highly of him because yeah, he gave that six minute answer on pits. Right. And then I asked him the next question about Terrell and he gave me a form answer about all their defensive backs. Obviously Terrell has been really good this year. He hadn't allowed more than 30 yards in a game in coverage. He didn't even have an interception with, which says a lot because yeah. teams clearly just aren't targeting him. Um, did you think he was the real deal? Like you, cause you had the, you were there, you had the bird's eye view. Did you think he was the real deal? He looked pretty good. I mean, look, that interception, it, is very, very JC Jackson, like, right. Very ball hockey, very instinctive because he recognized that Mac was staring down the left side to come back. Right. Right. That's what Mac was trying to do. So Mac moves the post safety out of the middle of the field. And when he sees the post safety shading over to the, to the uh, right side of the defense or the left side of the offense, he's thinking, I got it right. I, I got what I want. So he's coming back to the right side and kind of no looking it up the seam to Johnny Smith and Terrell knew that Mac was probably going to do something like that. I think that that is also one of those things uh, where, and now I'm really going to, everybody's going to think I'm hating on Mac. Uh, Mac likes the seams, right? Those are the past. I think in a lot of ways that Mac would rather throw the seam than the double move on the outside and to kill Harry and who can blame him, right? To a degree. So I think Terrell knew that Mac was going to try to work it up the seam on that concept. I think that he knew that Mac was staring left to throw right. And he, and he jumped it. It was a really instinctive, intuitive type of play. 
reminded me a ton of like JC Jackson in his younger years or, or someone like, uh, like that Xavier Howard when he was younger, uh, that were true ball Hawks that truly understood, uh, could kind of jump inside, uh, the quarterback's mind. Right. And, and know exactly where the quarterback was going to go with the football. I want to talk about the Titans, uh, wrap it up here on Tennessee. And, uh, I, I went and I actually watched their offense against new Orleans on Wednesday. I had, had some time to get ahead on it. And I, I have to, I have to own, uh, you know, wear this Alex and, and say that you were right because it's not the same without Derrick Henry. It's not. Yeah. Right, it, it just they didn't run the ball as effectively. Now they were down some guys on the offensive line. Taylor Lewan did not play in that game, and their left tackle got absolutely whooped by Marcus Davenport and Cam Jordan. So, to a degree that you know maybe the line being healthy would would make things different. But a lot of that game against New Orleans ended up being on Ryan Tannehill's lap, and just like with Baker Mayfield, I I like the Patriots' chances. Right, if the Patriots don't get run on by Tennessee. And I don't think this defensive front, the way that they're fitting the run right now, and the fact that the Titans don't have Derrick Henry, I don't think they're going to get run on by the Titans. I really don't. I don't think they have the personnel that they used to have to run the football down the New England's throats. It's going to become a Tannehill game. And just like it was a Baker game, I, I like the Patriots' chances in that. The only thing I'm worried about is I think Tennessee's defense can do more than Cleveland's defense did, right? Fair. They got their own Christian Barmore and Jarrell Casey. I just, you know, you go back it's to the divisional – it's definitely going to be a lower scoring game. Than, yeah. Know, the Patriots but, aren't going to hang 45. I just, I, I go back to, to the wild card game in 19 and the, you know, the Titans had such a good game plan. They had such a good game plan. They knew what they were doing. And you know, was that Vrabel knowing Belichick? Was that Vrabel knowing Brady? I guess we'll kind of find yeah. out because Vrabel doesn't right. know Mac Jones. Like he knows Brady, obviously, but right. Mike Vrabel's a really good coach. That defense can, can, you know, I don't know that Max faced pressure up the middle. He's faced some great pass rushers, Miles Garrett, Bosa, et cetera, right? Yeah. Uh, Brian Burns, if he's done crying. But he hasn't faced pressure up the middle like the Titans can generate. It's how, look at what they did to the Rams. I mean, look at what they did to Matthew Stafford. So I'm not saying the Patriots are going to lose a game or anything. I'm just saying that I think what Mike Vrabel can do and some of the unique things that defense can do um, – it's going to be new. It's going to be new, you know, kind of like it was this week where we talked about yeah. Dean Pease was going to throw a lot at Mac that Mac hadn't seen. I think Vrabel's going to be able to do a lot of the same things, but I like, I like the players he has at his disposal to deploy those tactics in the front seven. Uh, I, you know, I mentioned Casey, right? Jarrell Casey is the defensive yep. tackler. I don't know why I'm blank. Yeah. Yep. You know, I mentioned, I mentioned Jarrell Casey. Howard Landry is a really good edge rusher. Like, I don't think the Falcons have those kinds of players in their front seven at least not, you know, that ability to get after the pass. So I, it's going to be a tough one. It's going to be a tough one. I think a, a lot's on Bill and this is going to be a big bill game. This is going to be a big bill game, not just the game plan coming in, but what kind of adjustments does he make uh, once he sees Mike, Mike Vrabel's best punch. So I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a chess match. It's going to be a slugfest. It's going to be low scoring, um, but I'm not, you know, I know it's Tannehill and I'm not going to fault anybody for picking against Ryan Tannehill. It's normally a good strategy, especially when he doesn't have Derrick Henry or right. Julio Jones. And as, as Jim Murray said on the postgame show last night on 98 by the Sports Hub, the way things are going for the Patriots right now, watch. A.J. Brown's going to get hurt this week against yeah. Houston. Um, but I, it's yeah. not – it's a tough game. It's a really tough matchup. Don't think twice about it. Tough, I actually, tough matchup. I think it's a tough matchup for Mack in the offense. I 100% agree that this will – he will not – 
score 45 points against the Titans defense, right? This is going to be a lot more. If they put up 45, we can start talking about the Super Bowl. Right, put up the, on the, Titans. the slugfest that we thought we were getting against Cleveland is is definitely yeah, going. Sorry, real quick, I was saying Jarrell Casey over and over. Jeffrey Simmons, I'm sorry, Jeffrey Simmons, he's a really good player. I should get his name right. Jeffrey Simmons, you're muted. All right, I'll just keep saying Jeffrey Simmons because I screwed up on Jarrell Casey, um, who I don't think is even might not even be in the league anymore. But uh, I just you know Matt Evan, you still can't hear you. Mac with that pressure up the middle, it, it just worries me a little bit in that game. Can you get your – we're like literally at the end of the show, Evan. You just need to close it. Come on. Nope. Nope. It just Are you muted? What are you doing? You want me to wrap it up? Do I have to do a sponsor read or anything? No? All right. Um, so, yeah. So, we'll talk more about the tight – so, I'm going to decide to schedule the show for the next week since Evan can't talk. Um Let's see if we – we'll preview the Titans on Tuesday. That way we all get to just enjoy our Thanksgiving on Thursday. So we have this extra day built in with the Thursday game this week. We will um, – we, uh, we'll we we'll look more ahead to the Titans on Tuesday, look more at this matchup, see what happens with them against Houston. And then uh, fun couple of weeks here. And they got the Bills. They got the Colts. They got the Bills again. This is the season here. This is the difference between a road game as a 10-point underdog and potentially fighting for the division or these next four games. Titans, Bills, Colts, Bills. So uh, let's all have some fun with that, and, and hopefully we can hear Evan on Tuesday. We'll talk to you later.